I just recorded an intro for this podcast and uh, pulled out my heart and soul and then turned my camera around to stop filming and realized I hadn't started filming. So um, let's do it again. Uh, hi, welcome to episode three of the God or Whatever podcast. Um, I am Tim. I don't know why I say that. You know, you know who I am. You probably know me. You're probably one of my friends or family. Um, I am here today uh, in Tolsbury in North North Essex on the Salt Marsh Coast. Um, just a beautiful, like, wild space. Um, I've gone off the path. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to go off the path, but I have, and it's peaceful and it's quiet and it's beautiful um, around here. Um, anyway, what's been going on? How's your month been? I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're staying safe and staying healthy and all that stuff that, you know, we have to say uh, these days. Um, I'm doing okay. Not much has changed in the past month. Obviously, we're still in lockdown here in the UK. Um, but our our bold and illustrious Prime Minister has given us a uh, roadmap out of lockdown, um, which is a bit vague, but at least gives some sense of how we're going to get out of this fucking situation that's been going on for the best part of a year um, and how long it's going to take. So there's some hope, at least, even though nothing has shifted yet, there's some hope. And also there's some hope because, look, it's springtime. Um, It's a bit warmer than it has been. The sun is shining and flowers are beginning to blossom. Um, and I don't know about you, but that gives me a sense of, of hope. I like the winter. I actually like the cold. I like snow. I guess I like seasons, to be honest with you. I like it that here in the UK, none of our seasons last forever. And if it's cold and snowy, you know, springtime is just around the corner. And when it's hot and muggy, you know, that autumn is coming soon. Um, so there's always, always a way out of whatever season we're in, um, here, which is cool, I think. Never, it never gets boring, the weather in the UK. Um, anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Yeah, what's been going on? Uh, yeah, some signs of hope. I've been doing okay. Um, I have uh, been kind of up and down mental health-wise. I've had good, good weeks and bad weeks. They tend to be about a week. I'm not sure quite why that is, but I go for a period of about five to seven days of feeling very anxious and very low. Um, and then I'll go through a period of five to seven days where I feel much more optimistic and hopeful uh, about the future. I don't know why that is, but that's just kind of the way it's worked out. At the moment, as I'm recording this, you're catching me on an upward swing, uh, moving back towards the optimistic and hopeful uh, side of that. Um, yeah. Today, I'm having a conversation with my friend Dave. I say today, this was recorded uh, earlier this year, in January, um, in between Trump being voted out of office in America and Joe Biden taking office. So in that kind of, I think they call it a lame duck period in America, um, which feels a bit harsh. uh, But I think maybe a lot of Trump's presidency has been a lame duck period. That's some political humor for you. 
Um, so I'm just giving you that context because we talk a little bit about politics, um, particularly about disagreement, how we disagree well with people who we love, um, how we how we build communities and societies with people around us who maybe hold views that we disagree with, even views that we find horrible, distasteful, disgusting. How do we build those bridges? That's something that Dave and I talk about a little bit. And Dave, just to give you some context, is one of my oldest friends, possibly my oldest friend. Um, Not in the sense that he's old, he's the same age as me, but in the sense that our friendship uh, has been around on and off for most of my life. We met in primary school when I was living in America, in Monroeville, near Pittsburgh. Um, And then when I moved away from America, we lost touch for a good long time. Uh, And then one of the very few positive things that you can attribute to social media is that we found each other back thanks to I think it was probably Facebook um, I can't quite remember which network or maybe Twitter I don't know I don't know who cares um, but yeah we're back in touch and Dave's when we were at school Dave was someone who I truthfully was probably quite jealous of um, because he had this ability to draw so we were both into comic books I think he probably got me into comic I think that's how I got into comic books. I'm just stopping here because I don't think I can go this way. No, I don't think I can. I want to walk this way instead. Um, so yeah, we were both into comic books. And um, so we we both were into kind of drawing in that kind of comic book style, drawing superheroes. I was particularly into Spider-Man, as you probably know. And Dave was really into X-Men. Um, but he was just this, in my eyes... Uh, brilliant artist and whose whose skill I envied, his ability to draw I envied. And Dave now, as an adult, is an artist, a proper artist, who does amazing, beautiful, often very powerful, often very funny um, art, which I love. Um, And I really recommend you follow him on Instagram, check out his online shop, um, I've bought a few of his pieces of art uh, over the years, and they're hanging on my walls uh, in my house where I live. Um, and it's just this amazing gift that he has, uh, which we talk about in the podcast. I'm not going to talk about it too much now because I'll just be repeating myself. But I'm kind of jealous of him, you know, because that ability to express yourself and particularly to express the darker parts of your kind of your psyche, I think yields amazing fruit um, Dave talks about it you know how good it is for a person's mental health for their sense of self their place in society their spirituality um, all of that stuff is stuff which Dave saw has uh, influenced and shaped in his life in a way that like I said I'm quite jealous of I don't have that that kind of creative thing that some people do you know with music or art or whatever people who I mean I I nearly said people who are gifted. That's probably an element of it, but it's also probably to do with me not having the patience to practice and to work hard at it. Um, But I think it's so good. It's so good for people who do. um, And I'm jealous of people who can do that or who do do it. Um, I've also, uh, speaking of not being very good at keeping things up, I've been trying to exercise. That sucks. Who are these people? I've got friends, people on Instagram who uh, talk about 
exercise as if it's something that they actually enjoy. I've got people talking about like, I can't wait until my gym reopens. Um, I can't wait to be able to go back out there and lift weights. Um, I don't understand what's gone wrong or right with these people's brains. I, I wish I could do that. Uh, exercise for me is kind of grueling, but I think probably good for me. So I've been, I've been trying to do that. Trying to, I got a personal trainer, which is too expensive to be a viable long-term option, but I thought it might get the ball rolling. She's got me started on some exercises, lots of squats. She's into squats. Uh, so my legs hurt all the time. But it's probably good stuff. I think it's probably good for me. Uh, I don't know why I'm talking about exercise. I got sidetracked into stuff that... Basically, the, the general theme of this is stuff that I wish I had the patience and tenacity to pursue, but I'm too lazy to, basically. Um, look, okay, I'm going to stop waffling. I want to hand over to uh, my conversation with Dave. Let me just... I'll tell you what. Before I do that, if you're listening to this, just enjoy the sound of it. But if you're watching... Just check out where I am. This is that silence. It's good, right? I think um, I've got a friend who's super into North Essex and Colchester. Matt, he's been on the podcast before, back when it was the general speech. Um, and having him as a friend really makes me appreciate where I live. Um, he tells me all these cool bits of historical information and, and just cultural stuff, which I wouldn't know about otherwise. And it makes me feel really lucky to be here in North Essex in the UK. Anyway, cool. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm going to stop. Um, enjoy the conversation with Dave. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And I'll see you on the other side. Bye. <laughs> hey, where are you, man? This is, is this your new place? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I for, yeah, you haven't seen it. You were at the, the old place before... Yeah. Uh, that situation kind of dissolved. Yeah. This is much nicer. Your old place was a shithole, man. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> it was, I was living in squalor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've got, I can see you've got the soup Nazi there up on your wall. I do, I do. I, I can give you a little bit of a, my wall of fame. Some Slipknot merch. Yeah. <laughs> Here's one from our days together. Oh, man, awesome. That's cool. That's uh, grade two. I believe we were. I believe we were pals then. That was like the peak of our friendship. I would have said. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first peak. Of course, yeah, of course. I, this is the real peak. But right, right, right. This is like so. Uh, second grade was like um, the first COVID spike. You thought like. Right this is as good as it's going to get. And now we're in the like, whoa, shit, I didn't realize it would get this good. Wow. <laughs> I did not see this coming. <laughs> How are things there, man? How's, how's Pittsburgh specifically and like America more broadly? Uh, hard to say. Um, what like, what level of like lockdown are you at the moment? 
It's not. It's not as. Uh, it's not as um, strict as the first round was. I think it should be. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a little more like lackadaisical um, this time around that it should be, and it's like kind of what's the point. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I've been kind of uh, sequestered here for <laughs> months. I only leave to get groceries, so you know, I'm just trying to. <laughs> And are you, are you like, do you live alone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. So, so we're in the same boat. So I've been like, for the past kind of couple of months, pretty much the same. Like I go out once a day for a walk, sometimes mm-hmm. manage to meet a friend, sometimes not. Uh, sure. But the rest of the time I'm just here apart from when I do my shopping. Right, uh, right, right. Well, you've got a cat. I two cats. Two cats. Yeah, yeah. I have, so, two, I have two couches, so I, I just talk to my couches. <laughs> sweet, man. <laughs> <laughs> They, I mean, the couches are less likely to piss on your stuff, so there's that. You'd be surprised. <laughs> oh, really? Those <laughs> kinds of couches. <laughs> I mean, how are you? Because, like, I, like, I mean, this is, ob- like, everyone hates it, but I hate it. Like, I am not, like, I'm introverted, right? Like, I like my own space. But sure. this year, or this past year, I should say, has really helped me to realize, like, yeah, but I also really need other people as well. Like I've had too much of my own space and man, like my mental health is like all over the place. Like, sure. it, it, yeah, it's just sucks. Like, are you, are you coping all right? Are you doing okay? I actually am surprisingly. I, I, I mean, I'm the same, like very introverted and, and uh, between that and, and uh, you know, most of my, most of my hobbies and passions revolve around, art and kind of doing things alone anyway so I feel like in that way I'm kind of better equipped than most people at spending huge amounts of time alone (laughs) yeah yeah um so I'm kind of you know I I feel pretty good you know the in normal life I I would you know every night kind of have the internal debate of do I see my friends do I work on things and no matter which way you go there's some kind of guilt yeah (laughs) (laughs) And now I feel like free from that. It's like, well, you know, the choice is taken away. And it's like, well, I, I can only work on my art. And, you know, I, I can still talk to my friends via Zoom and text and yeah. FaceTime. And, you know, the, the level of connectivity is still there. Um, that's, that's really cool. And I wonder, so I was just yesterday, I was listening to a podcast. Have you ever heard of Hidden Brain? Have you heard of that show? It's an yep. NPR thing. So it's just like it, like it looks at like the science of the mind and psychology and that kind of stuff, which I kind of find a bit interesting. And there was one about kind of, um, uh, they were talking about waiting, but they were specifically talking about like waiting for COVID to be over basically. And, uh, mm-hmm. how, how to cope with the kind of, you know, often when you're waiting, you have a kind of like, I know that in half an hour or in a week or in a month or whatever, I'll stop waiting. But with COVID there isn't that. It's just kind of like, we don't really know. It could still be here another year. It could be by next month. Things are a lot better. Who knows? And he was saying, the guy, that like one of the things that really helps people when they're stuck in the position that you and I are stuck in is having uh, like getting into like a state of flow. You know, that concept of like, yeah, when you're like just pushing yourself hard enough that you're able to lose track of time and that kind of thing. And it's really interesting because I was listening to that and I was thinking like, man I struggle to know where I'd find like my state of flow like I don't really like I I can recognize it occasionally when I'm in it but I don't have like one thing that I'm like this is the thing and I wonder if maybe art gives you that if maybe the fact that you're you've got that 
skill and that talent and that thing that you've refined means that maybe having that has been a real like lifesaver during this oh, because you've yeah, got that, that outlet. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, not only with it being a, with it being both kind of a, a skill and a refinement and something that uh, you know I kind of lean on financially in a way, um, but also having this part of it that's just totally, I don't know, this like pure part of it. Like I, I, it's fun for me. Like I, I just enjoy doing it. Like even if what I'm making turns out to be shit and like I hate it. Yeah. The, the process of making it is it's fun and yeah. and the challenge of of maybe making something that's shitty and and saving it somehow you know coming up with with uh some moves you know out of my subconscious and i surprise myself that that's really kind of what drives me and and that's a total you know communication between myself and whatever i'm working on you know it's almost like uh being in a trance or, or a state of meditation or, or prayer, you know, kind of communing with some kind of nebulous larger force. And, and, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really helpful, especially during this specific time. That's so cool, man. I, like yeah. I say, I, like, I'm, I'm kind of jealous of you. Like I don't have like, so, so after I listened to that podcast yesterday, I thought, what can I do? Like, what are the things? And, like I noodle around a little bit, like on a ukulele. So I got that out and just kind of started playing it. And I'm not good at it. Like, it's not like, I did think like, oh, I'll record some of it and put them up on Instagram. And then I recorded them and watched them back over. And I was like, mm, no, I don't, I don't want to put that on Instagram. <laughs> that, like there's girls on Instagram. I don't want them. Seeing that. <laughs> so I'm not good at it. But that's like, that was the the closest I got to like, what can I do to like, like do that thing where you like, you lose track of time, you know, like mm-hmm. where you're not, cause I think what I've done a lot of is just like, like doom scrolling. Do you know what I mean? So like when yeah. I have some free time, I find myself like on my phone scrolling through the news or scrolling, even like not necessarily doom scrolling, but just scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Right. And it's like, it becomes almost like a panicky thing. Like I got to keep going. I got to keep going because I haven't had like my hit yet. Do you know what I mean? I haven't had like the little dopamine rush, which is what I'm really looking for. Right. And it, what it does is it elevates my anxiety. Like in my mind, I'm telling myself, this is going to help me calm down because it'll distract me from my anxiety, but actually right. it increases it. Hmm. And it's when I do stuff, which like, slows my brain down whether that's like noodling on the ukulele or just going for a walk in the fields near my house or whatever that's when i'm like oh yeah this is what i need to be doing this is like this is golden but then like i forget about it like half an hour later like i get back in and i'm like well i better check instagram i better check if that post has got any likes or maybe there's some covid news have things gotten even worse (laughs) i just don't learn a lesson man i don't know what it is right right. i feel like i feel like no matter what mode of life you're in, those feelings are always fleeting. And, and I yeah. think the challenge is to kind of learn to enjoy them when they're there and maybe hold on to them as much as you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, kind of learn the things that can bring you the most uh, satisfaction. Yeah. 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 Completely. Hey man, let's talk about your art for a sec. Seeing as we kind of talked about it a little bit, I wanted to ask you a bit about it. So um, I was thinking about this just before we were talking. So I was kind of reflecting back on, you know, our, a lifetime of friendship with breaks um and so uh so just to give some context to the people who watch this uh so you and i met when i moved to uh monroeville in pittsburgh in pennsylvania um 
back in 1990, I think, when we when I was about five, and we went to primary school together. Uh, and like, you were for the time that I was in the states, de- like 100% my best friend. Like, I think we. I mean, I can't really remember how often we hung out, but I feel like yeah. it was a lot. I remember being in your house a lot, hanging out with your family. I remember you I like coming wife. over. Um, I've got some little, just little trinkets here that I found on my shelf from those days. I've got a little Spider-Man action figure, which <laughs> yeah. dates back to when we were friends, and a little T-Rex action figure <laughs> yeah. as well, official Jurassic Park merch. Um, and yeah, man, and uh, obviously part of that um, relationship was defined by religion. Uh, I, I don't know if it was through school or church that we initially met, but both of those things were kind of things that we shared, I think, growing up. Um, both of our families at the time were pretty much like pretty enmeshed in the like conservative kind of evangelical kind of church. Um, and then I moved away. I moved to France when I was 10 and I can remember sitting at your, uh, like dining table talking to you and your mum was there as well. And in my memory, I was crying, but I can't really remember whether I was or not just because I was so gutted at having to like leave behind my best friend in the world that I knew and everything. And I remember saying like, Right. Um, to like your mum was being like really lovely and reassuring as your mum always was, and yeah. she was like, you know, it'll be okay. And I was, I, I said something like, but we'll probably never see each other again. And your mum was like, well, this is true. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's not what you're supposed to say. <laughs> you're supposed to say, yeah, we'll come visit all the time. Yeah. Um, but so anyway, we parted ways, uh, and and. I think we kept in touch maybe for a year or two through like letters and stuff. Cause obviously it's pre-social media. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of lost touch. And like, I can remember trying like occasionally I'd be like, I wonder how that guy Dave's doing. And like, I'd Google you and look you up on Facebook and never, never had any luck. And then I think maybe I found your blog or something like that. Like that's how I initially right. like found you back online yeah. um, and made contact. And so last time I saw you, you were like a 10-year-old evangelical Christian into comic books and dinosaurs. And now, <coughs> excuse me, now you're like the lead singer in a metal band. You're like <laughs> head to toe covered in tattoos. At the time, I think you had a pretty huge beard when I had like, <laughs> like, and I was like, is this the same guy? I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. And you did this art. You still, still do this. comics and dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well there's that so that that transition is still there um sorry man i've got a really tickly throat hang on i'm just gonna oh, leave my mind while i cough yeah. <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's not covid it's just a cough um yeah and you do this art which is like like dark some of it like it's like it, it at the time yeah of, specifically yeah was, yeah yeah um but i think what's really interesting Oh man, sorry, I've got a frog. I'll be right back. Let me just go get a glass of water. This is a really interesting point. I hate cutting across it. I'll be, I'll be two seconds. I'll be back in a sec.
and see how it goes. And <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so where I was going with that was I thought one of the really cool things that you had managed to do in the time since we were friends and since we found each other back was to connect with, I guess, the darkness inside humanity. Um, and I think that religion that we grew up with in the church at the time was pretty good at almost like denying that darkness. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, we wouldn't really talk about it. Or if we did, it was always like in the way of like, this is something to be fixed, something to shine the light of Christ on. Right. Or feared. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I guess I'm just interested in like what, what steered you down that road, basically? Like, how did you, like, I don't think I'm very good at that yet. Like, I still think I have that evangelical kind of fear of the darkness in humanity. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I've got better at facing it, but it's still something that, like, I'm not as good as expressing as you are. Um, and, yeah, man, I just wonder what took you down that road. Like, what led you down that way of, like, being able to express that stuff and get sure. in touch with it? Yeah, I, I well, I, I think <clears throat> art, art and music... Um, <clears throat> where I think the, uh, for me, the kind of um, creative type of playgrounds, so to speak, that I could maybe explore some of those places and have it still feel safe because it's contained on a page or it's contained, uh, you know, it's some music that I'm enjoying or, or, or something like that, you know. Um, so that, I think that's kind of where my first steps were. Um, you know, after, after I graduated high school, Oh, you know, most of my friends all went off to various um, Bible colleges. You know, all my friends at the time were, were church friends. Yeah. I didn't have many secular friends. And, and uh, So you were still into religion through high school? Yeah, yeah, all through high school. You know, I, I had maybe, you know, five or so friends from my actual high school that were secular friends. And everyone else, my entire group of, of um, connections were all through my youth group. Um, and they all went to other separate schools and, and whatnot. And um, so after graduation, you know, the core group of my friends all felt various callings, you know, to the ministry and, and uh, ended up going to different Bible colleges. And, and um, I didn't feel the same way. You know, I, I just didn't feel that I was called to do that. You know, I, I had gone to a few um, Christian universities to, you know, kind of check it out. And, you know, we would take youth group trips and stuff and it just, something about it didn't jive with me. You know, the, the, the idea of a Christian um, college just seemed, I don't know. It just didn't jive with me. So it's really, uh, sorry to cut across you just quickly. It's really interesting that you just said, so you went on youth group trips to Christian universities. So there was a real, put like I guess an encouragement to you guys in the youth group to go to those kinds of universities that's really interesting we went specifically we went to the university that our youth pastor at the time had graduated from his his alma mater so I don't know if there was some kind of I don't know if he did that because he just really loved the school or I don't know if he had some kind of program (laughs) set up with them where I I have no idea the the intricacies of that but um yeah we would go and check it out and and you know, the majority of my friends ended up did going to that university. And, and um, it was in Philadelphia, you know, on the other side of our state and um, about four or five hours away. And like I said, I just didn't feel, 
I didn't want to go that far from home. I didn't feel the the call to go to that ministry. I was also very, very broke. So, you know, going to college was kind of a dicier option for me. So I, I chose to stay in my hometown. I went to community college and, uh, you know, I still stayed active in our youth group and whatnot. It was just kind of a, a, you know, had graduated. So I was kind of a leader type role. And uh, during that time, you know, it was really kind of a transitional period. You know, I was kind of, I was so active in the youth group, but I was making new friends, you know, elsewhere just in life and, and kind of came to a point where I realized that up until that point, I hadn't really experienced anything. I, I, I remember specifically, I, um, the year after graduation had, had ran, I ran into a friend that, that one of my secular friends that I had gone to high school with and, and, uh, she was really, really kind and gracious and, and, uh, she invited me to this party and, and, you know, I was like, I've never been to a party before. Yeah. I've never been invited anywhere by a girl before, you know, I, in my mind, I was just like, uh, so, you know, I went to this party and, and some of my friends were playing a show there, you know, they were in a little band and it was kind of like this house show and it, it wasn't this wild rage or anything. It was just kind of this nice little party. Yeah. And I was like, I've, you know, in my mind, parties are like, what you see in movies, you know, these yeah, raiders yeah. where like women are topless and guys are yeah. like <laughs> getting in fights and doing keg stands. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I've got this all wrong. You know, i have been taught that everything in life is, is one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, I began to kind of see that there's more to life and, and I had not been experiencing it. Yeah. And I think that's the point when I kind of <clears throat> made a decision that I wanted to, get into a little bit of trouble you know I wanted to like sneak into places I I didn't start experimenting with with alcohol or anything until much much later but like I wanted to you know stay up all night with my friends and like you know just experience more in life yeah yeah and I guess with that came more of the acknowledgement of just being human and and uh you know some of the darker feelings that that you feel and yeah kind of went hand in hand that's really cool, man. I can so strongly relate to a lot of that. Like I can remember exactly that thing about being invited to a party and like feeling like, oh, I don't know, what, what if they, you know, like, um, you know, the Beastie Boys video for Fight for Your Right to Party. And at the beginning, they're kind of like, I hope no bad people come. That's exactly how I felt. <laughs> like I was really like, yeah. but really, I do hope no bad people will come. Right. <laughs> will, will people be taking drugs like <laughs> uh, like uh, and it, like it was something that i was really scared of because it had been like bred into me to be scared of that yeah um and yeah like i can remember those first like yeah being in the same kind of place as you where what you've just described i guess when i was kind of like 19 20 21 those first kind of like um you know stuff that people do normally at like the age of like 14 where it's kind of like, oh, I can, I can push the boundaries here a little bit. I can remember yeah. as like a 20-year-old getting into like smoking cigars, which now is like, like now I look back on that and I think like people who smoke cigars are dickheads for the most part. Like I don't want to be, I don't want to be a cigar aficionado. Like, right, kind of right. like horrible, horrible people. Um, but uh, yeah, like I got into it and I think it was mainly because of that kind of like excitement of kind of like, here's something that I always thought was really, really wrong. Um, but actually I've done it and it hasn't hurt me and I'm okay now, apart from that 
smoker's cough that you just heard. That's, that's right, still right, right. 50 <laughs> <Yeah>. years later. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 you know, this kind of level of being able to experiment with, with these things that you are taught are taboo or kind of forbidden yeah. and, uh, you know, realizing that they won't hurt you or kill you or necessarily even change you unless you let them. Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of led to believe that if I went to a party, I would turn, I would become this kind of <laughs> degenerate. Yeah, man. You know, yeah. that, as if I have no, uh, you know, free will of my own to, yeah. to choose. And I, I mean, that was my biggest fear. Completely. Like, I, so I didn't drink alcohol until probably just a few years ago, two or three years ago. Um, and I never quite managed to articulate why that was. And it's only recently looking back that I realized that actually the reason why I didn't drink alcohol was because I was pretty much convinced that I was probably an alcoholic, even though I'd never drunk alcohol. But I just thought right. if I start, like if I have one beer, then it's all downhill from there. Like the next scene is me laying face down in a ditch somewhere, like <laughs> yeah. having completely given up on life. And just that kind of like slippery slope kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. And, um, and you know, it's really like, like from a theological perspective, what's really messed up about it, I think is that actually a lot of the, like, not just the Bible, but let's say like religious traditions are, are really good at, staring down the darkness in humanity and facing mm. it and not being scared of it but we've shaped we've taken those things and shaped them into something which like creates these these like barriers these boundaries which we're really scared to cross but actually when you read like the psalms in the bible or whatever like some of those things are really dark like really messed up like there's really violent psalms there's really like depressed psalms and we've got this like tradition and this language we, I mean, as in like us religious people, we have this tradition in this language that at its best should be about helping us to face that stuff down and making our peace with it and not being scared of it. But at its worst, completely demonizes that stuff and like others it. So it's like, the, you know, that's the language of the people out there who aren't saved. Yeah. And here inside our bubble, everything is sunshine and roses and beautiful because we've got Jesus. So everything is fixed. And we have to believe that because otherwise what's the point, you know, like, why are we doing this? Um, but yeah, it seems to me that the point of it, surely if we're to become more loving whole people is to learn to not run from that stuff. And that's one of the things I love about your art, man, is that like, like I, you talked about your art, like back then, but I would say even the stuff that I'm seeing today, that's on Instagram. Like it's like, it's messy. It's chaotic. It's like, it, and your, your style evolves and fluctuates a lot. Like I, you know, I can see that. And, and I love that about it because it's, there isn't a kind of, I mean, you, you might tell me that I'm wrong, but what doesn't come across is that kind of puritanical perfectionism um, that I think we were like had bred into us as kids and it feels much more free and open and like, and fearless, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, it feels quite fearless. Thank you. Uh, that's, uh, it's, it's taken work to, on both sides, the technical aspect and also the, the connectivity with, with the internal experience. You know, I have loads of sketchbooks from high school, you know, full of drawings of Spider-Man and, and Batman yeah. that are, you, you know, just like obsessively perfect and like, shaded and you know during that whole time of high school I wanted to be a comic book artist and it really kind of matched that 
you know, everything should be clean and, and square in, in its box yeah. and yeah. planned out. And, uh, you know, not that I really kind of thought about it at the time, but, you know, as I was kind of taking steps to kind of, you know, connect more with myself and experience life and what it is to be human, um, my art also kind of mirrored that. And, you know, I began getting messier and collaging and just kind of not worrying about so much the perfection of the technique, but rather what I want to um, get across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so cool. And I, like, I wonder how does, um, well, so actually, so it's pretty much, well, it was exactly a year ago. So this time, one year ago, you and I were hanging out together in yeah, Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, that was the first time that we'd hung out, obviously, since we were kids. <laughs> and one of the real highlights for me for that trip was going back to your childhood home. And um, you were like in the car, you were like, like, my mum will know that it's you. She'll recognize you. And I was like, how will she recognize me? She hasn't seen me since I was 10 years old. Like, and we walked into your door. And before she'd even seen me, she heard my voice, which is not the voice of a 10-year-old boy anymore. It's, I mean, it's not <laughs> far off, but, uh, but it, yeah, it's <laughs> technically not. And from, a, like, from another room, I heard your mum being like, is that Tim? And right. just had this amazing greeting. Obviously, this pre-COVID, so we were allowed to hug each other and that kind of right. stuff. And she like, um, yeah, we, we sat and caught up and that kind of thing. And it was, it was just a brilliant thing um, and really great to reconnect with that part of my childhood. And uh, where am I going with that? I guess where I'm going with that is the question of, so your, your mum is still part of that church scene that we were in growing up. And how, how do you think she reconciles where you are, where you've got to in your life? Um, I, I'm guessing, uh, and you can tell me I'm wrong, maybe I am wrong. I'm guessing that there's stuff about your art and the way you express yourself and that kind of stuff, which would potentially make her a little bit uncomfortable. Is that fair to say? Um, sure. So like, but, but clearly she's supportive. Like that was the thing that really came across when we hung out. Like there was no sense of kind of like, Oh, he's a black sheep of the family or whatever. Like it was just this beautiful, like you could see how much she loved you and how much you loved her. Um, right. So yeah. Like how, how do you think that works? Like for her as well as for you? From, well, for my mom specifically, I feel like, and this is just from what I've observed from my life growing up in the church and, and knowing my mom, um, I feel like her relationship with with God and with Christ is is truly a, on a personal level with her. You know, going going to church and kind of the uh, the dogma of, of religion and whatnot you know, she takes very seriously and respects, but she, you know, she journals and journals and journals and, and studies scripture on her own. You know, for her, it's, it's like her version of what I do when I paint, you know, she does it out of enjoyment, you know, out of pure, she just loves it. And, and, that's and like that flow state, I guess, again, we'll talk about that. That's exactly it. You yeah. know, and, and I think once I was old enough to kind of understand <laughs> that and, and saw kind of the difference between how she, communicated with God and, you know, her relationship with God versus kind of what was the norm in our church, I kind of realized that it was something special for her. And, and, um, you know, even now, you know, COVID has kind of shut our church down, but, but, you know, she, it's no difference for her. She's still studying and, and, you know, teaching and, and, uh, obviously, you know, not in person, but, um, yeah, yeah. 
so yeah, and you know, before she was saved, uh, she she was saved when she was, you know, I think like eighteen or nineteen, maybe even later than that, um, college age. Um, and up until that point, she was also an artist. She she went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, and, oh, and right, man. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, she's actually she's really amazing painter and and you know artist. She does like portraits and and stuff like that. And uh, so I you know she went to art school and whatnot. And I think she was exposed to a lot then, and and that was a transitional part in her life. So I think she understands it and can and, you know has enough understanding of art to know that you can explore those things and express those things, and it's not necessarily a red flag for, for where your soul is headed. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's amazing. And like, I just thought it was like, I think you guys have managed to do something which is really, really hard to do, which is to have a really, really good and strong relationship despite having some really different opinions um, about stuff. And I can remember talking to you in the car on your way to your mom's house. Um, by the way, if there's anything that we talk about that you don't want, to be in the podcast just tell me and i'll cut it out afterwards okay. like, I, mean, I, I don't want to kind of cross any boundaries or anything like that okay. but um but i can remember you telling me that your mom and dad i think were like were, were trump people and how how difficult you found that to reconcile both in terms of your own personal understanding of spirituality and faith and that kind of stuff but also in terms of how you like yeah politically and how you see the kind of the wider world and that kind of stuff mm. um and like we've had a similar thing here with the brexit stuff like it's been such a divide divisive thing and right. i think trump and brexit are quite comparable in the in the way that they're like like there are very few people who don't have an opinion about that stuff yeah. they're either like you're either 100 percent for or 100 percent against and so the brexit stuff is like torn families apart ruined friendships that kind of thing in the same way that the trump stuff has over there and i am really lucky that like politically and, and probably I guess on a religious way as well my family are more or less on the same page as me with most stuff so when we when we talk politics or religion we don't end up like arguing really we kind of end up agreeing with each other and it's quite if anything it's quite a boring conversation because we're all on the same page um, <laughs> but there's something like yeah I guess like finding that balance where you're able to quite strongly disagree with somebody but still absolutely love them and want what's best for them and see the goodness and the beauty in them. Like, mm. I don't know, man, I feel like that's a rare thing. And I think that's a really cool thing that you guys have managed to do. I mean, a lot of that is, is I think just my, my, my mom and her, you know, her just inherent kindness. Yeah, she's just a kind person. I think she was, she was like that far before, she she identified as a christian as just kind of part of who she is and and uh part of what she passed on to to myself and my sisters um, and i think you know also kind of rubbed off on my dad you know he's he's become you know definitely a lot um more like her um oh, yeah the, the older that they've gotten yeah 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 you know a lot less, uh you know, strict and and you know aggressive and just more kind of kind yeah yeah that's cool, man. It's really like, I feel like um, that's such an important thing because it's really easy. I feel like when you're talking about broad ideas about politics and religion and that kind of stuff, and you're talking about like broad groups of people, it's easy to dismiss them. Uh, mm. And it's much harder to dismiss someone as an individual when you 
have seen and experienced that kindness. I mean, I think your mom is a special individual who's exceptionally kind, but right. I think that that's true more generally as well. That like, like let's say over here, cause we're an ocean away. Uh, it's very easy for somebody like me, who's kind of politically quite liberal to completely write off like Trump voters as like, like something has gone wrong in their brains uh, and almost dehumanize them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like, I, I can't believe that the 65 million people who voted for him in your election last year are all horrible, racist, nasty people. I can't believe that most of them are horrible, racist, nasty people. I think they're probably, for the most part, people who, if you got to know, they'd probably be quite welcoming, quite hospitable. Even if you are black or gay or whatever, they're probably those political views might not express themselves in their like personal interactions with people. Um, and it, I think that's a much more difficult thing to do than to have the kind of like black and white, like fuck these guys kind of attitudes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, obviously there's a spectrum as everything in life is. Um, and I think that was one of the, the most important lessons that I've learned since, you know, kind of transitioning out of uh, a strict kind of church mindset. Um, it did, you know, it did hurt me that that my parents, my mom specifically, um, were were in support of, of Trump. Um, because like you said, you know, I, I am also of the mindset of his supporters are trash. Yeah. <laughs> you know, given all of the evidence and everything that he's said and done, uh, I I was I was shocked to learn that they voted for him in the first election that he ran in. Yeah. given things that he had said prior to that. So, you know, I, there was this really big disconnect and, and I was really kind of hurt and confused by it. Um, and I obviously can't speak for everybody. Uh, in my mom's case, I, you know, we, we were able to have some conversations with it and, and she was able to kind of hear some of my points and understand them. Yeah. And I think for her, it, it, mostly came down to just misinformation and, and uh, kind of political fear, yeah. uh, you know, the, the kind of fear mongering that both sides are, you know, playing each other as, uh, you know, playing each other as antichrists, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, eat both sides think that the other guy is the end of America and, yeah. and, uh, that's that's really kind of a hostage situation for everyone to be in it is yeah um so yeah you, you know she she it, for her it came down to things like abortion and and you know he he was against abortion yeah <laughs> i don't know if i really believe that a guy who's been a millionaire his whole life and and uh lives his life like that has never paid for an abortion yeah yeah i find that hard to believe I find it hard to believe, but I can't say anything. I, I you know, I don't know. But uh, so, you know, her her thing was, you know, he he opposes it, and that's you know, that's the important issue. And and the conversation I had with her is like, there's, I understand that that's an important issue to you, but there's larger, more important issues for everybody yeah. that we need to kind of solve before we can pinpoint, you know, these kinds of uh, gray areas that that. Uh, you know, you could battle back and forth on. 
there are, yeah. there are larger kind of more apparent problems that we can tackle. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, the, like the, the abortion thing is huge actually, isn't it? Like mm. it's such a, I mean, I, I think really what the world needs is two straight white dudes having a conversation about abortion. So, so let's get into that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, um, if you believe that the minute, you know, the sperm meets the egg, the second that that happens, you have a human life and to terminate that life is tantamount to murder. Like if I really strongly held that conviction in me, which I don't, but if I did, would I, would I be able to overlook some of the other stuff about Trump because he's appoint, appointing like Supreme Court justices who potentially will help to outlaw it. And maybe even like if I really believed that, would it be the noble thing to like vote for, for Trump for that reason? Because I see myself as saving the life of innocence, like people who can't, and, and you know, they do see them as people who can't defend themselves, who have no voice. And that that's a uh, like yeah like i kind of get it i don't agree with it but i can see why if you really hold that opinion almost how could you not vote for trump sure i guess my disconnect and this is you know i is this is very nebulous because like i said I, as a white guy i don't know if i super duper get an opinion on abortion yeah uh, yeah but I think I think the problem is um, classifying it as murder. You know, even if let's say even if that is a human life, and it, you know it's growing and and uh, you abort it, you terminate it. I don't know if that's no one's doing that out of hatred. No yeah. one's doing that like I'm gonna grow a baby and so I can fucking kill it. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. I hate. No babies. one is doing that. No <laughs> one is getting a baby just so they can terminate it. Yeah, yeah. People, the reason they're doing it is because it's a, it's a life or death situation for them or, or, you know, something that could really detriment the child's life, their life, their health. You know, I think that's the biggest problem here is, is kind of demonizing the women that are getting this procedure done as, as murderers or some kind of, uh, yeah. like, they're, it's not the same thing. No, no, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm completely on the same page as you. Like I agree. Um, I, I, but yeah, I'm, I guess it's like, like, it's kind of like, I remember years ago, uh, probably like 15 years ago, um, getting into an argument with a street evangelist in London. So he was like, he had his megaphone and he was like getting right up into people's faces and telling them that they're going to hell if they don't convert and that kind of stuff which I find super super hateful and I had like uh, an argument with him and I was kind of saying like what what just what do you think you're achieving like whose minds do you think you're changing and also like I just think you're wrong like I just think you're reading the bible wrong um, and it was it was quite he like I'm, I'm saying that now in a very calm like relaxed way but in you know in that moment i was like i was really angry like almost like shaking like because here's a guy who is making it harder for me to be a christian because he's making christians look like dickheads basically like that's that's kind of where i was coming from um 
And I walked away kind of shouting at him, which isn't like, it's quite out of character. Like I'm not, I don't often get into like, I don't often raise my voice that alone to strangers, but I just, I, there's something about this guy in that moment that really kind of like pissed me off. Um, and then like reflecting on it later, I had this thing of like, man, if you really believe that everybody who isn't a Christian is going to hell, like if that's really something that you hold on to in your heart, then maybe what this guy is doing is the most noble thing because he's making himself look stupid and he must know that people, I mean, I'm not the only person who shouted at that guy. So he must know that people hate him. So he's making himself hated, but in his mind, which I think is misguided, I completely disagree in his mind, he's trying to save people from an eternity of suffering. So is it possible that in that context, with what he believes is what he's doing the most noble thing that a person could do. And it's the same with like the abortion thing. Like I, I have to try to put myself into the mind of somebody who believes that you're saving an unborn child from mm. death. Maybe if that's what you really believe, then, I mean, let's be clear, like, making male bombs to post through abortion clinics is never a note. Like it doesn't matter what you believe, like using violence, like that kind of stuff. I'm not in any way. Like that's, that's awful, whatever you believe. But if you believe, like we said, like that, that, that this is a, this is a human being who's, who is being murdered or, or manslaughtered or whatever, then to hold that stance and potentially to vote for a president who will elect Supreme court justices to make it illegal maybe that's the right i mean it's not the right thing to do but do you know what i'm trying to say like i'm struggling to get my words out i i understand and and i think maybe in their mind it might seem noble but it's 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 passing the buck it's not taking responsibility for it's saying i'll just choose somebody and they'll deal with it they'll make it law and then you know done yeah and it's not it's not if they if if it was true nobility you'd be taking care of of homeless kids that, that have been born, you know, and, yeah. and maybe should have not been, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, or, or, you know, the myriad of, of suffering kids and moms and, and families that, that uh, are suffering. You know, no one cares, you know, no one raises a voice about them. It's only when they're, they're, you know, murdering, yeah. you know, taking care of that. Um, that, that they seem to care. And, you know, that's, like I said, it's, it's not taking responsibility. It's passing it. Yeah. And that you're, and you're absolutely right. I think the thing that I find so hard to reconcile with that worldview is like the Trump administration, administration putting kids in cages. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it's so kind of like life is sacred until the moment you're born. And then yeah. from then on, like if you can't afford healthcare, well, you're just fucked basically. Like, yeah. you know, or if you can't, if you come from a country that we don't like, well, then you're just fucked basically. Yeah. You have to come into this world of suffering. And then once you're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, it's so, it's so, it's the opposite of love. You yeah. Know, it's not understanding. It's not loving. It's not compassionate. Um, yeah. And I guess that's the, like, maybe the difference between, someone like Trump or Mitch McConnell or, or let's say over here, you know, Boris Johnson or whoever, 
who are, as far as I can tell, cynical players, people who are using people's held religious beliefs to push forward their own agenda, to seize power for themselves and that kind of stuff. There's a huge difference between them and people like your mum and, and people who are voting these guys in, who I think, well, I, in the case of your mum, I know are compassionate people and wouldn't be up for putting children in cages, you know, or, or whatever it is, like who, who would be doing the helping the homeless children kind of thing. Um, yeah, but it's hard to like, to reconcile that with like, but look who you're voting for, like someone who's so uncompassionate, it's so hard. Just, yeah, you know, she, uh, well, you can decide if you want to put this in later or, or whatever, but uh, just prior to our election, you know, she, her and my dad and I, you know, had been going back and forth for, for months up until that point. And, and uh, you know, a couple of days before the election, she called me and she was like, you know, I know you and your dad have been you know, butting heads and whatnot. And she's like, I just want you to, she said, I'll, you know, I, I just want you to pick the godlier man. And I just kind of, I chuckled because I knew that she, in her mind, meant <laughs> Trump. Wow. And I, it was just like, I wish I'd been prepared for this phone call to, to kind of, <laughs> uh, it's like, immediately I brought up, you know, the, the scripture about, you know, easier to pass a, a camel through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, here we have a man that was, uh, has been a millionaire for life. <laughs> Yeah, off of the backs of other people and and uh, and his own racist father, um, and you're telling me that that he is somehow a godly man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get it. No, no, completely. And I guess so. There's this huge question now of like, um, so obviously, Joe Biden's going to be president. Uh, whatever it is, 18 days or something like that. Um, and let, so again, over here in the UK, the Brexit equivalent is like, so So Brexit is done now as of yesterday. Yesterday is our first day as a country officially no longer in the European Union. Okay. And it just like, it, in both situations, whatever you feel about the outcome, it's kind of like, okay, there is an outcome at least. Mm. Like we, we have a, a path to walk now. And I guess a huge challenge to both like the like political elite, but also to to you and me is how do we how do we like how do we try to I guess heal those divisions? I mean that's such a like lame thing to say, but like how do we walk forward with people who we've so like strongly disagreed with over the past yeah. four years or whatever? Pandora doesn't go back in the box. Exactly, exactly. So certain, certain opinions can't be unsaid. Yeah, yeah. Be changed, but like it feels like at this point, no one's even willing to change. Yeah, yeah, completely. And we so like, you know, going back to the religion stuff. Um, I mean, it certainly is there in the Gospels, and I think it's probably there in all of the like major religions. You know, this stuff about, you know, love the people who are unkind to you love your enemies love the people who you strongly disagree with um and the the temptation to like pick up the sword or like i guess a 21st century version is like get on twitter or whatever and just like 
just be a dick about people is really strong and really understandable. Um, but there has to be some like some wisdom somewhere that teaches us how to like love, you know, even people who, I don't know, man, even so like, uh, this is a bit of a tangent. So my philosophy has always been, I don't believe that there are bad people. I feel like people are a product of their upbringing of the chemicals in their brain, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just can't believe, so it's like a theological thing. I can't believe that God would create somebody evil just for like, I don't know why God would do that, but also on like a biological scientific point, like what, what makes a person evil kind of thing. Um, And then Trump came along and it's so kind of like, I really want to hold on to that opinion, but you're making it so fucking hard, man. <laughs> like, give me something, show me some redeeming quality. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, what am I trying to say? I just don't want to write off a swathe of humanity as like, well, those guys are, are lost to us. I agree. I, mean? I agree. Everybody, I think everybody can, is capable of change and having their opinion changes. That's what makes us human. It's just having the the flexibility and kind of the um, internal strength to be able to do that and, and and still hold on to part of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's a fearful thing to to admit you're wrong or, or, you know, uninformed or, you know, take responsibility for something fucked up that you said (laughs) or did. Yeah. Um, But you know, that's, that's, the only way out you know otherwise it's just a vicious cycle that keeps going yeah. um, i i read this book a few years ago called um the road less traveled and beyond uh it was a follow-up book to a book called the Lo- the road less traveled um by an author named uh scott peck i believe um basically saying that boiling this way down to a nutshell the gist of it is if you we as humans are designed to progress, change, you know, and, and by always taking the harder path, we can kind of train ourselves to do that. And, and it okay. becomes comfortable. So taking the road less traveled, the harder path is kind of the way to, to develop your soul, you know, yourself as a human. So I, you know, after reading that, I kind of thought about everything in those terms, you know, every, t- every time you are tempted or have a decision or something, what's the harder choice? You know, is it, is it, is it harder to, to, you know, if someone pisses you off, is it, is it harder to smack them or is it harder to try to talk to them and figure out where the pain's coming from and why yeah. they're hurting? Yeah. You know, it's, it's natural to, to lash back out, to retaliate or try to protect yourself hard to try to make yourself vulnerable to try to you know connect yeah. with some yeah Especially and, it, and you know, that 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 can be applied to i think everything in life is yeah. do the thing that's challenging and yeah. and you'll grow i i think what you said about like everyone has a potential to have their minds changed uh kind of brings me back to where we started about um I think you're one of the few people who I can talk to who I know has been on a similar journey to me with religion and that kind of stuff. And I often think about like the way in which my mind was changed. Like, so 
I grew up in a church that taught me to be homophobic uh, and the world around me taught me to be homophobic. Mm. And I think I'm at a place now, uh, you know, 25 years later where I can say I'm not homophobic. And I say, I think I can say that because there probably still are lingering prejudices in me that I still will have to carry on dealing with. But I absolutely affirm same-sex relations, transgender, uh, transitioning, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm here for it. I'm on board with it. I'm cool with it. Um, but I had to go on a, something had to shift in me to move me from a place of like um, really being like aggressively anti-LGBTQ plus whatever um, to being at a place where I'm affirming it and trying to be more affirming, like actively moving to like consciously make a decision to move in that direction, recognizing when I'm not quite there, but need to keep on working on myself. Um, So uh, like, I think you've probably been on a similar kind of journey Um, Mm. and this is potentially quite a hard question, but I wonder like, could you, like, how did your mind change? Like what, what happened in your life to move you towards where you are now? Well, um, I feel like I was kind of lucky in a sense that the church congregation that I grew up in was somewhat more accepting than most. Okay. They, we did, you know, the church I grew up in did classify homosexuality as a sin, but it was very much like, love the person hate the sin that kind of that kind of mindset um you know you you accept people and and uh so i kind of you know i was kind of started off already on not the best path but at least better than kind of being told that um these people are evil (laughs) or or insane or something um so i feel like it was a lot easier for me to transition to you know once once i kind of began growing and experiencing life and, and, you know, had gay friends and, and, you know, had friends that were trans and, and uh, the more I experienced, the more I, you know, the more information I learned and the more I was able to kind of make that call for myself, you know? Um, Yeah. You know, like you said, you know, it's, it's hard to say that I'm, you know, hard to anti, you know, that I'm, I'm totally supportive of this and that, you know, like you said, there's always going to be some prejudices and it's, it's a constant state of monitoring your thoughts and, and uh, kind of think about them and, and, uh, you know, constantly taking in new information and, and processing that and applying it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, again, it's kind of part of the work of, of yeah. trying to develop yourself as, as a person. Yeah. So that's like, I think probably I'd say a similar thing that there wasn't like, nobody ever changed my mind by arguing with me. Like there was never a kind of like, you know, someone calling me a bigot or whatever that made me feel like, Oh yeah, shit, maybe I am a bigot. Like if anything, those kinds of things just further entrenched me. Like I'd be more like, see how lost they are that they can't even hear what I'm saying. And I think what you just talked about, about, um, being in a context outside of the church, like for, for you as college uh, or whatever, um, where you actually started to hang out with gay people, um, 
see their the, your kind of shared humanity with them and getting to a point where you know the the love the sinner hate the sin thing is is like an abstraction isn't it like you can kind of make it make sense in your head as long as you don't actually know any gay people and then once you start to get to know gay people it's kind of like well you can't quite separate this the the, the person from who they love in quite that simple a way and exactly. i can't believe that this good person who i'm hanging out with or this this person who's like me not necessarily good but who's flawed and messed up just like i am and good just like i am i can't believe that god hates them more than they hate me and so i can't believe that god hates who they love more than who i love do you know what i mean like it it was that kind of interaction with people i think rather than like a an intellectual idea that that began my shifting it once you live life and you and you accept it for what it is um all of that becomes unraveling. You know, it's impossible to, to have that kind of black and white mindset in in this world. It's just not. Yeah. It's not. It's not real. It's not realistic. Um, and the people that that are still hanging on to that black and white mindset are the ones that are that are so entrenched in these in these ways that, that you know they're just kind of doing so much more damage than good. Yeah. Yeah. Um. There was another point I was going to make, but I forget what it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> well, look, man, um, I, like I said, we'd take about an hour and uh, I think we've just gone over an hour, so I, I won't keep you for any longer. But um, yeah. thanks so much for, for making the time um, yeah. Yeah, to chat. Um, and like, I'm, I'm just, I'm really glad that we're still friends. Do you know what I mean? I'm really glad we yeah. found each other back, um, you know, for all of the shit that social media does to people. One of the good things about it is it, it kind of brought us back together. Um, that was going to be my other point. I'm sorry to... Oh, go, yeah, go back to it. Okay, I guess it just is about social media. It's just uh, I, that platform is not meant for bait or for changing people's minds. Yeah. The, that's yeah. the thing I see the most on there is either someone making a post that's them on a soapbox, you know, kind of trying to teach people vicariously. Yeah. Yeah. Or people arguing in the comments doing that. And yeah. and it's like, I've never once seen somebody comment say, oh, shit, you're right. Yeah, good point. <laughs> that totally fucked up and, and weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that never, ever, ever, ever happens. No, no you're the right. The only way that you, can, that you can change people's ideas is by interacting with them. And like I said, kind of living life and, and uh, you know, being open and vulnerable and, and doing what's hard yeah yeah that's um that's a you've just reminded me of this parable i heard ages ago i can't remember who who wrote it but basically they were saying like imagine you've got a friend like what's your favorite meal what's your favorite like go-to comfort food dinner oh chicken okay cool all right so you've got a friend who's never had uh whatever like kfc like chicken and the you want to share the joy of that amazing meal with them. And so what you can do is describe it to them and you go like, so you get this bird and you kill it uh, and then you cook its flesh and then you like chuck it in oil. And as you describe it, the person's getting more and more convinced that like, this is fucked up. Like, I don't want to go anywhere near this. The way to convince somebody is to like buy a bargain bucket and have them smell it and see it 
an experience like the the salivating kind of thing like just right. just it's the lived experience which is ultimately going to change their mind right. um, and right. i think that touches on what you've just said that like that's uh, a really good point like that and i like i do it all the time or i mean hopefully less these days but occasionally i still find myself doing it something i'll see something on facebook and it's usually facebook rather than any of the others that makes me so angry that i comment on it mm-hmm. and then like a day later i'll be like oh man you, you got sucked in like and it just has achieved nothing like all you've done is put more anger into the air do you know what i mean like you haven't changed anyone's mind yeah um, like a, it's like a, a pull ball effect you know you leave a comment and then that attracts 20 negative and 20 positive comments and then you know it's just yeah it becomes this fucking spaghetti plate of of hatred yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it never gets solved or or talked about you know yeah yeah and what you want to do i guess is bring those different sides together over real spaghetti maybe as it like everyone loves spaghetti right that's the way to lure them in and then just like have a meal together and like talk to each other and see each other's humanity and that kind of stuff. I guess maybe that's the like finding some hope in all of this, like whether it's the Trump stuff or the Brexit stuff or even the COVID, like all of the kind of the stuff that feels so dark and so scary in the world. There is a hope that that kind of like community, informal education, bringing people together kind of stuff. There is like that provides us with some light and a way out of the kind of dualism and the, the divisions of society. My, my, my big worry, my big fear, and I talk about this with my therapist a lot, is that my fear is that it'll take something extraordinarily bad to get people to have to lean on each other yeah. and have to live in context with each other where they can learn that we're all... Yeah same and okay yeah. um i hope it doesn't get to that, but yeah. yeah i know but it's yeah. it like you said everything just seems so um i don't know conflicted now yeah. that it's it's going to take a lot i think for for both sides to kind of come back and and uh like you said heal i guess yeah yeah that's the like um I mean, this could start a whole new tangent and I'll resist the temptation. But the guy I studied for my uh, doctorate, Rene Girard, he talks about the scapegoat mechanism. He talks about like when societies get to the place where our societies are at the moment of real tension and like division and that kind of stuff. Historically, what's happened is that we've used a scapegoat to bring ourselves back together. So you can kind of see glimmers of it happening here and there, you know, whether it's like, blaming the Chinese for COVID or blaming like immigrants for taking our jobs or whatever, just the kind of thing of like, yeah, well, at least we're not like those guys, fuck those guys. And then but with that kind of like, fuck those guys mentality, suddenly we're united again. It doesn't matter that you're a conservative and I'm a labor voter or you're a Republican, I'm a Democrat, or you're a Christian, I'm a Muslim, because we've got that kind of like, well, at least we're not those like those fucking guys. And yeah. so Girard talks about like, it fulfills a real function the scapegoat function because it does bring people back together but theologically the challenge is when jesus like was nailed to the cross the message for humanity was like god's on the side of the scapegoats so whoever it is like whoever it is that you've picked to like hate in order to unify yourself that's where god is god's on their side 
So you don't have that option theologically right. anymore. You can't do that. So you have to do the more difficult thing of, like we just talked about, community education, bringing people together, informal education, like that kind of stuff, community organizing. Yeah. Um, but that's much more difficult. It's, much, it's, it's in our nature, it's in our DNA to like look for a scapegoat so that right. we can, like we do it on small scales all the time. Like, you know, with our friends, we bitch about people. And the purpose of bitching about people is to bring us as a friendship group closer together. Like I, I've noticed myself doing it. Like if I'm struggling to make conversation, I'll be like, did you get a load of what that guy posted on Facebook? The other day? Oh yeah, man. What twat. And you get into that. <laughs> like, and suddenly you're like, we're best friends. We get on yeah. so well, or it's just a minute ago. We we're struggling to make conversation. Right. But for me, the whole point of the, like the gospel story and the Bible stuff is like, you can't do that anymore, man. That's not an option I've left open to you. You have to no. find another way. The, scape, the scapegoat thing just shifts the hate to a different Yeah, yeah and that's it, right. It, you know, then you, have, then you have this conflict between these two groups, and that lasts however many decades. And then, you know, there's another shift, and you find a different scapegoat. And there's, you know, it's just... Yeah. It, it, like I said, it's just this vicious cycle. And it... it uh, I, I don't know if... You, have you read the Watchmen the comic watch yeah man yeah yeah Yeah. so you know the the squid comes to earth and it finally unites all of humanity because we have the scapegoat becomes something else not human completely and that you know that's uh, that's kind of i guess what my 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 big fear is like a meteor or something it really threatens earth and and that's what brings everybody together but yeah I'm hoping it doesn't take something that dire (laughs) yeah yeah well completely and i i think um again looking for hope I think when you look at the world or even when you look at like the USA or the UK or whatever, it feels so big, so like frighteningly huge that it's like, well, how else could you fix it apart from a meteor or something like that? Like what other option is there? And I do think that like in, well, in art, but also in scripture and in just the human experience, hope is often revealed in like smaller scale, more like, look, I can't fix the UK. I can't even fix my town, but I can fix my relationship with my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what, like, I, I really like the, the kind of Buddhist idea about karma, which is like people misunderstand karma as kind of being like, if you do something bad, then something bad will happen to you. Like that's the universe balancing itself out. But actually the idea is kind of like, when you do something good, you're putting good stuff out there and it echoes it, it like it echoes through time and space so by treating your neighbor well you're giving your neighbor some positivity and that positivity will echo in their interactions and so on so it has to be i guess like the hope in all of this has to start like ah faith is small as a mustard seed like there's a bible thing right it has to start with that like mustard seed here my neighbors my relationships my friendships i can begin to inject positivity and hope into those kinds of things mm-hmm. and that will have repercussions or maybe you take it even smaller and like i can begin to treat myself well i can be positive yeah. towards myself and trust yeah. that in some way that'll affect the world around me as well um, absolutely and yeah i think that's so like with like 24-hour news cycle you get almost distracted by thinking about like the world and can't fix the world you are powerless uh, i am powerless to fix the world uh, so it can feel really despairing mm. but i'm not powerless to work on myself and to be compassionate to myself so that's and a great start small things that make the change 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, now I've kept you for even longer. <laughs> I started that. I started that tangent, so I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, you really got yourself to blame. Um, but man, like I say, it's, it's so good catching up. Um, I, um, I love seeing your face. I, I love having these conversations with you. Um, Likewise. I can't wait until all this COVID shit is behind us and I can arrange another trip to Pittsburgh, come visit London, like until we can hang out in person again. That would be amazing. Okay. Um, and in the meantime, we've got Instagram, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can even do this more often. It would be great. Definitely, man. I'm well up for that. Yeah. You're still here. Thanks for sticking around. Um, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, I loved talking to Dave and I hope that you benefited from his uh, wisdom uh, as much as I did. Uh, while you were listening to that, I took a little stroll and now I'm here at Tolsbury Marina where there are lots of precariously balanced boats on dry land. Lots of as someone who doesn't know much about boats, lots of unanswered questions. How did they get there? How are they so well balanced? Um, I don't know the answers to that. Um, hey, you know what sucks? When I started doing this podcast, I invested in getting quite an expensive microphone um, and a decent webcam when I started doing it on YouTube. But these bits that I just do on my iPhone always come out looking and sounding better. Why is that? Is, it, is, is my tiny little iPhone camera really that much better? And is the speaker that much better, or the microphone? I don't know. If you know anything about that kind of stuff, I'd love to get your advice on how to make the podcast sound better, because I don't really know what I'm doing wrong. Maybe it's a Zoom thing. Maybe Zoom compresses the file too much. I don't really know. Um, cool. Thanks for listening. Um, just do a slightly lame thing before you go. Something I feel a bit awkward about doing. But if you enjoyed this episode, and if you enjoyed the podcast, um, would you consider giving a little like uh, either on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Subscribing, uh, if that's in your wheelhouse. Um, and maybe even on Apple Podcasts, leaving a review. I love doing this. I really love doing this. It's so much fun, and I get so much out of it. Uh, but I, I don't have the time or the resources, unfortunately, to invest as much time as I'd like in it. And if I could begin to grow the audience a little bit, maybe, maybe that would help. Uh, I don't know. So I'm going to do that thing that podcasters and YouTubers do, which is to ask you to like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends about it, uh, invite people to listen um, it would be great to like I say just begin to grow the audience which could give me some more options in terms of maybe making this something which can begin to sustain itself a little bit more um, cool alright thanks very much um, just before I go if you're watching that's Fellowship Afloat that's a Christian charity that are based on a boat um, cool. All right. Hope you're doing well. I love you guys. I'll see you next month for a conversation 
a very different conversation uh, with another old friend uh, who is actually older than me this time uh, called Lee. So that's something to look forward to for the end of March or beginning of April. All right. I love you guys. Take care. Bye.